Hello everyone, um, welcome again for joining us for this um, MedLearn session on independent prescribing. Once again, this is brought to you by a partnership between CND and MedLearn. Today we are joined again by the amazing Fahim. And today's topic, we're going to be talking about picking the subjects you do your IP in. Last time we discussed basically HE funding, how to get funding for your IP. So today's topic is going to be more about your scope of practice and how to make that decision. So without any further ado, we'd like to say another big welcome to Fahim. Welcome, Fahim. Nana, thank you very much for your time. And it's always a pleasure to be here. So thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, so I'm going to jump straight in with this one, basically. So one of the questions we face the most that I've heard the most from my friends is when it comes to them doing their IP, how do they go about picking which topics? So do they do it in diabetes? Do they do it in asthma? What is the factors that will help them make that decision? And what should they think about when making that decision? Sure. So what you're asking, I guess, is about choosing your scope of practice. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a very, very important topic because some students really get confused by this. So first of all, the IP course is not designed and neither are the learning outcomes such that you develop clinical skills. And that is important to understand. Let me say that again, that your IP course is not designed to teach you clinical skills. When you go on a non-medical prescribing or independent prescribing course, it means the same thing. So essentially, when you go to get your prescribing qualification, the universities will expect you to self-certify that the area that you are gaining your prescribing qualification in, you already have the competency. So you can diagnose, you can manage, and you can treat disease in that area, number one. Number two, they will also want to make sure that in that area you're actively working and you have access to patients. And what you're doing this six months is demonstrating and proving that you're competent to gain your prescribing qualification. Okay. So the university is basically not going to be giving you all those clinical skills that you need. No. They're there to basically certify that you're good enough to do this. Well, they don't certify that. Your GP does. The universities only give you a certificate of completion and it's your mm -hmm. GP who will sign you for competency. And the university are saying, Nana, you're signing this form and this form says that in your scope of practice, you can diagnose you can manage, you can treat disease. So for, for as a student who's listening to this, what that means is you need to go back and ask yourself, which conditions can I safely manage, diagnose and treat from start to finish? For example, I'm a community pharmacist, asthma. To diagnose asthma, you have to do spirometry. You cannot do that in a community pharmacy, not because you're not capable, because you don't have access to the tools. Yes. Hypertension. To diagnose and treat hypertension, you need to be able to do bloods and you also need to have access to ECG readings and check for end organ damage. Again, in a community pharmacy, you don't have access to that. So that's another thing to remember. Also, let's think about some diabetes. Again, I get a lot of students ask me, what about Fahim, what about diabetes? Why can't I choose diabetes? I can measure the glucose levels, but there's more to it. To diagnose diabetes, not only are you taking that thorough history, but you're checking for any comorbidities, you're checking for all the relevant biochemistry that has to be done to safely diagnose it. So your scope of practice depends very much on your experience. And then ask yourself, do I have access to that pathway from start to finish? 
So if you're a community pharmacist, I would recommend why don't you stick to things like UTIs that you might be treating on a PGD, sore throats, acne, eczema, minor illnesses. If you're working in general practice, absolutely, you can pick your hypertensions, you can pick your diabetes, but again, you need to already have the skill set. Just because you work in general practice doesn't mean that, hey, I'll pick epilepsy. Well, Nana, can you diagnose epilepsy? Can you treat epilepsy? Have you been involved in that pathway? If you haven't, then you cannot pick epilepsy. So your scope of practice is very much dependent on your skill set, your knowledge, and then your setting. I think that is where a lot of people come stuck because they pick a topic thinking, oh, I treat a lot of diabetic patients, so I should do my IP in diabetes, or I have a lot of asthma patients, so I should do that. Thinking that by picking that, they will then have, first of all, the patient, but they don't think about having the clinical knowledge. And I know as pharmacists, we do some clinical knowledge, but like you said, it would be like going to a farm without the tools. Absolutely. And a lot of universities now say that, do you have any prior knowledge in this? So one of the areas that I focus on, as you know, is we're always trying to get our pharmacists to, to upskill. And we're always talking about how we can take a pharmacist on a journey. That's what Medlin does. What we're trying to do is say, right, pharmacist, before you gain your prescribing qualification, or even if you're in the process of gaining it, let's teach you relevant anatomy, physiology, pathophysiology, all the underlying skills that you need to build that structure. And that is what we do do, because if you don't have that knowledge, you can't grow. No. You can't pick other topics. So basic understanding, really, really important. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of the earlier IPs people got stuck getting their portfolios done because they went into it and then it was like, I don't actually know. And I was one of them because when I did it, I never had that guidance. I never had the luxury to spend time with yourself and share my knowledge. I just picked hypertension. Yet I'm working in a community pharmacy. I picked hypertension. I didn't have the skill set to diagnose it. I did my portfolio. I ticked all the boxes. And then I sat there thinking, now what do I do? Yeah. And it, it doesn't work. No. So it's basically make sure that you have a good previous knowledge before picking that scope. Also, apart from the physiology and knowing what type of like instrument, what type of diagnostics you need, what are the other things that you need to consider in your previous knowledge line? So I would always say from a disease perspective, if you're thinking about disease as a pharmacist or any, even if you're a general medic, you need to know for that disease, the incidence, etiology how sex can affect it, how geography can affect it, age. Then you have to know about that condition pathology, microscopic, macroscopic, signs, symptoms, prognosis, treatment. So now you know your condition properly. Once you know that, then you've got to think about communication skills. You've got to think about maybe social prescribing, which is a really big thing now, which makes sense. And I think, you know, society and medicines are only as good as your mind and only as good as your health. To be honest, we have been picking up a lot on, like, I'm glad you mentioned on social prescribing. And I think it's one of the areas that is not looked at a lot um, by us, but we'll put that on a separate podcast. So in terms of your patient group and also picking your DPP or your DMP, do you need to consider those things before you pick your scope as well? Like, how important are they? Your scope is important, very, very important. But the reality is that before you could even join on a course, you have to have a DPP in place. And that's another area that we help with because a lot of pharmacists struggle to find someone to train them. Mm -hmm. But not only to train them, to carry them on a journey. It's not about 90 hours. 
No. I get students call me, Fahim, can you organize 90 hours for me? No, I want to take you on a journey and support you for one year. So we take our students on for one year. We'll help you get into university, help you with all the documentation, organize the doctors who have experience in teaching pharmacists. Again, yes. that's important. They <laughs> are trained to teach a pharmacist. They're trained to teach nurses mm-hmm. because we have a different skill set. We're at different levels. So your DPP, your DMP, ask yourself, one, does this person have knowledge in training pharmacists? Two, does this person have, has he already acted with the universities? And three, will he support me afterwards? Yes. I think that's the bit that a lot of people leave out. Um, and also for a lot of DMPs, it's sort of like, I've signed you off now, so you're done. So I think having a DMP that will look out for you afterwards and give you that support. Because I'm guessing the first part of, like the first time you have to prescribe, that must be one of the most nerve-wracking parts of the job. And I always say, remember when you qualified as a pharmacist, that first yes. test you did. <laughs> Talking to your tutor, calling yeah. up, glad you this right. It's the same <laughs> thing. And here you're dealing with people's lives. It's, it's a higher order task that has to be done. You know, you're expected to know a lot. And the GPHC are very clear on pharmacists prescribing without any support network. You know, I'm not encouraging anyone to go and have a look at the fitness to practice. A lot of pharmacists are getting in trouble because they're doing things that they're not competent to do or they're not deemed to be safe. So having a network to support you, having the right people around you can take you far. So moving on from the, once you've basically picked your scope, how do you get the chance to use that knowledge? So I'm guessing during your IP, you look, picked your scope, you would have had some kind of expertise. During your actual IP sessions, when you're doing your actual training, how do you advise people to basically get experience in using that knowledge for that specific scope? I would say the first thing you should do is you should speak with your DMP and get a learning contract in place. So you say, let's imagine Nana's my DMP. And you're going to say, Nana, I want this exercise to be like driving a car. So initially, I've got to do the theory which I've already have, hence my scope of practice. I'd like to observe you first. Just like when you drive a car, you get observation. Yeah. Then what I'd like to do is I would like you to observe me on the driving seat. So now I'm on the driving seat. And that's when you get that practice. So you have to make it clear to your DPP that I don't just want to observe. Initially, I'll observe. Yeah. Once I've done that, I'd like you to observe me and give me feedback, constructive criticism, and let me apply the knowledge I have. I've had some students, unfortunately, find out that they just sat on the wayside. Yeah, just watching. They're just watching. It's, you've got to get your hands dirty. Simple as that. So you should say, Lana, look, watch me, observe me, where you felt something's not right, but let me, let me carry the consultation from mm. there. And this includes taking a thorough history, coming up with your differentials, justifying your decision-making, examining, documenting, safety netting. I like the driver, like the driver instructing analogy, really, because even when you are practicing to become a pharmacist, exactly the same thing. The first few months, you're literally just watching and then you have to do, I think, being able to do it and knowing you have that experienced prescriber next to you who's going to catch the mistakes that you, you will inevitably make gives you that peace of mind to when you finish, it makes it a lot easier for you to actually go ahead. And, and the key thing is that you're on a journey. And whenever you're on a journey, that means that there'll be sometimes you're going to go forward, sometimes you're going to go back, but ultimately the vector is moving in, in the forward direction. So you just got to make sure that you 
you apply the skill that you have and and you know be brave but always work within your scope of practice and i think the last thing i want to add is just because you have a qualification does not mean that you're competent this is a totally different skill set just because you've got an ip or just because you've got a driving license doesn't mean that you should be driving we know I mean, there's some people. people. <laughs> exactly. You should not be driving. So, you know, same analogy here. This is about competency. Yeah. This has nothing to do with your qualification. Because as a pharmacist, you already have a master level qualification. Yeah. You already master what they're asking for is demonstrate competency. And maybe that will be a different conversation at some point that we have. But you know, anybody who's listening, please don't fall for that trap. That I've got my qualification, it's not good enough. I was actually going to um, hit on one more point about scope. Yeah. Um, so that we know when you do your IP in a specific area, for you to be able to prescribe in another area, you don't have to do another IP, but you need to be competent in it, which makes that competent statement very clear. So how do you advise people to define their scope? Say you're treating a patient who presents with high blood pressure, let's say. And whilst you're treating them, you notice that they might have a comorbidity of diabetes and the two are affecting each other. But you're not competent in diabetes. Do you restrict your scope and treat just the high blood pressure? Yeah, I think when you choose, when you when you do go to university, you have to have a very defined scope of practice. So I would say, for example, with hypertension, you would write something like, I will treat hypertension stages one, two, or three, no comorbidities, not pregnant. That's your scope. Okay. When you want to go into pregnancy and comorbidities, you go through that journey again. You learn your theory. Mm-hmm. You then get observed. You then practice. You then get signed off. You then get made competent. Just because you have a prescribing qualification doesn't mean that I can now jump from minor illnesses to epilepsy. That is not yeah. safe. Okay. So you define your scope. For example, you might say that I will treat eczema in children aged between six years and adults that have no signs of, you know, that have no secondary infection, just basic eczema I'm treating. Anybody's got any signs, symptoms of secondary infections, I'm not treating it. I would, to make it even easier, think of it as if you've made a PGD. Inclusion criteria, exclusion criteria, that's my scope. When I want to go beyond that scope, I have to learn everything again, make my inclusion. Everybody has a scope. Even the GPs, they, they, they work within their limits. You're never going to see a GP doing surgery. It's not his scope. I think that is a very good clarification because I feel a lot of pharmacists think I pick my topic or my subject area. I and do I'm it an and then I'm diabetes. able to prescribe. Not the case. And this is this is where, unfortunately, some of the pharmacists who've been prescribing online or prescribing in general practice have got in trouble because the GPC have made it very clear that actually this is not safe. It's high risk. So anybody who's listening today, just make sure that you get the right advice, you know, speak with C&D, you know, get in touch with ourselves, just make sure that you get the right advice. Yeah. And I think it's a point that needs to be made, really. Um, So, yeah, there's nothing like going into something blind and thinking you're capable of doing something that you're not capable of. Unconsciously incompetent. That's the worst thing. Oh, yes, that is the worst. We're going to move on to basically picking your university. So now you know what your subject area is, you know what your scope is. You've spoken to your DMP. Now you need to pick your university. What are the sorts of things you need to consider when you're going into picking a university to do your IP? Let's say we've got a list of universities. First thing what I would do is I would ask my own experience. Where did I go to study? Do you want to go there? Question number one. 
If you say yes, it makes your life easier. If you say no, I don't really want to go to that university, no problem. Then look at your list and check in that list how many of them have a school of pharmacy. Because if they have a school of pharmacy, they will know what your needs are and they can support you more. Right, so rule number one, do I want to go to university that I went to? Yes or no? If it's yes, decision made. If it's like, no, not really, I don't want to go to that university for whatever reason, no problem. Right, the list that I have now, now what do I do? The next set of algorithm would be, does, do these universities have a school of pharmacy? Why is that relevant? Well, because they already have experience with pharmacy. Then what I would do, if I say, right, which makes sense, they've got a school of pharmacy, I would then decide on price, number one. I would also decide on if there's online versus face-to-face. -face. Online is advantageous in that it's something that can be done in your time. It could also mean that you don't have to take too much time off work and holidays because you, if you need, for example, 90 hours with your doctor, that's 12 days gone there. And if you've only got 25 days holidays, you're left with just, what, 15 days? Yeah. And out of those 15 days, eight days will go to university. Mm -hmm. You're not left with much to move. No. So think about this, that how do I plan my year? Should I go to a university that offers an online course? Is there much difference? No. Having worked with all the universities, I would say that there isn't much of a difference between an online course and face-to-face. -face. Why? Because everything depends on your time with your doctor. Mm. The universities are there to make sure that everything the doctor is supposed to be doing and you are getting the best out of your course, all they're doing is providing governance. However, the advantage of face-to-face -face is networking. Yeah. That's what I would say is an advantage. Price range, you shouldn't be looking to pay anything more than up to, it ranges between 1,200 to up to 2,200 pound. I've seen some universities charging 3,000 pound. I don't know why. But I think you're looking at anywhere between 1200 and 2200 pound. That's the region that you're looking for if you don't get HEE funding. Um, I think that it might be important to basically look at yourselves. Uh, I mean, you talk about online and in person. My, I know myself, when it comes to online um, learning, as much as I like doing CPDs and stuff, I prefer in person learning. So I think being honest with yourself. Yeah. And your style of learning, absolutely. Absolutely. But Remember, do not fall for the trap. The universities are not there to teach you clinical skills. So some students will pick face-to-face -face thinking, right, I'm going to go I'll there and they're going to teach me to examine. They're not doing that. What you're learning is how to legally prescribe. You're learning the governance around prescribing. You're learning about ethics. You're learning about some calculations. That's the major crux of it. Okay. Essay writing and so on. So, you know, yeah. Again, networking is important and your learning style. And to be honest, Sometimes it's fun to get to go, out, go out, yeah. to a different city and, and enjoy and meet people. Why not? Are there any um, offering that does both? Most universities do do both. But for example, Salford University offer totally online course. Robert Gordon University is online. Uh, UWE, most of it's online. Bath is totally online. The others are anywhere between eight to 15 study days. You have to go face to face. They don't, they don't offer hybrid. It seems to be one or the other. Yeah. And with the MedLearn course, would there be a way of you helping them pick the best university? Uh, absolutely. Uh, again, it would be a case of, right, Nana, where have you been and what past experience we have from the students? Now, I can't mention everything about certain universities. Yeah. However, <laughs> we can have that conversation. XYZ said this. I mean, for example, I don't think any course is better than the others. I don't think any course is easier, but some courses are more academic. Mm-hmm. And some students don't like that. Some courses are heavily academic, 
and essay writing. Yeah. Some courses are more hands-on. And my own opinion in that I found students prefer the hands-on. We're pharmacists. <laughs> Whereas the essay writing and the academic side, yeah. you know, may not be that relevant for them. So absolutely, we would give you what past students have said. We would give you access to all that information. And then together we make an informed decision. And there are universities that work in conjunction. Because I'm guessing for the universities, it must be good for them to have um, MedLearn on board. Because basically it means that the students they are getting have the clinical foundation. We work absolutely. So, for example, UCL, Lizzie Mills, she works with us at MedLearn. You know, Sue Blaney at Suffolk, she works with us. So all the major professors, because the trouble is finding the doctors. Then what the universities say, now that we found the doctors, is finding the right doctors. So we've been very fortunate to work with all the universities who know Medline quite well because they know that they'll organize the doctor, they'll do the clinical training, we can focus on what we need to do. And we don't have to worry about making sure that the students are trained properly. So that's what is important. It's not about going with any doctor. Please don't make that mistake because not everybody has can teach. That is very true. Well, that brings us to the end of this session. Um, once again, a big thank you to you, Fahim. Um, those of you listening in, I hope you guys have got some good tips. And if you need any more information, do feel free to leave a comment. Check out MedLearn on the website that will be below this site. If you have any questions, Fahim is always open to answer questions, and so am I. So without any much further ado, I'd like to say a big thank you to Fahim. Thank you, Nana. It's always a pleasure to be here. And as always, let's let's educate, let's build a better world, and let's you know get the best out of our pharmacy that we have and the qualification that we have couldn't say it better myself um thank you everyone for listening um i've been nana thank you <laughs>